is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. He's back. Will Smith posting a video on Instagram apologizing to Chris Rock for the slap. Chris, I apologize to you. Uh, My behavior was unacceptable. And I'm here whenever you're ready to talk. Well, Smith says he has reached out to Rock, but says Rock isn't ready to talk. We go in-depth into whether this apology video will help Smith bounce back or if Hollywood will stay away. Movie theaters have been on the comeback thanks to people feeling more comfortable going and because of blockbusters like Top Gun Maverick. But things could change quickly next month, and we will explain. And retooled COVID vaccines could be out in September. Do you have your Mega Millions ticket, that jackpot over a billion dollars tonight? What should you do with the money if you win? Um, Probably just hide for a little while. That's piece of advice number one, because everyone's going to come after you. Amazon reportedly used Southern California as a testing ground for anti-union tactics. Fighting is a bigger problem now at the theme parks and Halloween we're going to have a candy shortage. You know, I figured out if I won a billion, I know what I would do. I'd ah. buy I'd buy France. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes. what I would do. All of the bread, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we start we start with uh we start with Will Smith and his apology video with us is Jay Jones, media strategist and entertainment publicist. He was just at, by the way, two uh, Chris Rock, Kevin Hart shows in New York City. Uh, that was earlier this this week. Jay, thanks for being with us. So, uh, you know, he goes, Will Smith goes on Instagram. Of course, it's getting news all over the world, I dare say. Uh, enough? Oh, yeah. I think, um, well, first of all, his behavior was the worst behavior, like he said, as he opened up the video. Um, and also, I was at the, Will, at the Chris Rock, Kevin Hart concert where they had to dis- discuss Will Smith. And they did it in two very funny ways. Now... Will might be trying to be relevant. I looked at the video a couple of times. It looks as if his actions were sincere. I think some of his answers might have been used to try to make it for his benefit. If he came on a show like your show and allowed you to ask the questions that we want to know, that would be a different type of interview. But when you set it up for your own uh, virtue and your own system, it doesn't it doesn't jive as well and it seemed a little hokey not hokey but a little um poison set up yeah someone was remarking to me about that today like if you're going to do this and people are automatically going to say well you know this was manufactured by your pr people because you know going in that people are going to say that why does it look like it's manufactured by your pr people go on instagram live and have all the little hearts and smiley faces or angry faces in the side go up and let people ask you questions and then talk to them and then talk to them and so some of the answers i thought some shocked me. When, first of all, the entire thing shocked me. When I heard this morning that Will opened up and came out, because I was thinking to myself, or like many of us were thinking, okay, he went under the radar, good. He pay, he's paying a price. Movies aren't going to be shown. Losing his relationship with the Academy. Uh, you know, his career could be over. Um, I think for the latter, though, his career could make a comeback. I mean, you know, the way the business sometimes work is, as, not in the case of Tom Cruise, but in the case of he came out with a great film and it had the the uh, the theaters and the, and, the, and, the, and the write-ups and the PR, people may go see it. However, 
Um, why do this now? Why try to be relevant? I mean, we have so much going on between crime and recession. All of a sudden, he pops up on a Friday to say <laughs> the to say the rock. You know, I'm here. And the quote, right? The funniest quote of it all of all is. I'm here to talk to you whenever you're ready. It's like, uh, Mr. Smith, no, no, no. We could have spoken that night. We could have spoken recently. It's like what they used to say, you know, don't let it be, don't let an anthill become a mountain. And he kind of let this become a mountain. Even though sympathetically, you know, the shout out to Chris's mom and Chris's family. I mean, that's touching. And it seems like Will is coming from a place of trying to work it out, but it, it just it just smells like a, a PR um, scenario. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was going to say, you know, some people who have seen it have commented that he seems sincere. And then I'm thinking, well, didn't the guy just win an Academy Award for like Best Actor? So I don't know how sincere he is or isn't in, in that video. But, uh, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, maybe his career could come back. But are we at a point, perhaps, where maybe Hollywood, maybe people are just kind of tired of hearing about all this? Because to your point earlier, there's so many other more pressing issues going on in the world. Maybe people are just tired of hearing about Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. Well, I tell you who is tired about it, hearing about it, and that's Chris Rock. At the show, both Saturday at the Garden, Madison Square Garden, I was going to say MSG, and in the Barclays Center, they made joke, Chris, I'm not a victim, you know, in this foul language and it's funny. And the audience went eight. They went insane when he said, you know, Suge Smith came up and slapped that, you know what, out of me. But I went to work the next MF day. And the audience was like, ah, insane. And then at the <laughs> end of the show, when Chappelle, was, when Chappelle, Rock and Hart were all together. They presented this stunt, which was pretty funny, of a goat. And the goat's name uh, was Will Smith. So they, they're just making... They're just, exactly. It was so funny. So it seems like in terms of popularity, Rock has outweighed Smith by millions and mega million miles. But I guess Will... You know, you know, his people are in his ear because he can't escape in India. He can't go to Greece. He can't not come back home to L.A. So he has to make something to try to chip away at this huge damage he has done. It doesn't hurt. You know, it wasn't the worst thing to do. Doesn't hurt. But is it going to? We are tired of it. Yeah. Jay Jones, media strategist, entertainment publicist. Jay, thanks. So, you know, during the... uh... The pen, before the pandemic, I used to go to movies all the time. And then when the pandemic happened and they closed all the theaters, I thought, well, you know, I hope someday they reopen. And then, of course, they did. But now there's a new problem. There's nothing to see. <laughs> I mean, there are a couple of blockbusters, you know, like, like the Tom Cruise film. But for the most part, there aren't. No major blockbusters are coming out. In fact, there aren't a whole lot of new movies that will be in theaters come the fall. Sean Robbins is chief analyst at Box Office Pro. Sean, thanks for being with us. So, I mean, are we in a situation where we have movie theaters that have now reopened for the most part, but precious little in terms of, of stuff to go and see? You know, this summer has has been kind of a high point for for theaters, for the box office, for studios. But we're now kind of that end of the summertime where things start to slow down. Typically, this year it's it's even more pronounced because what we're seeing is a catch up of supply chain issues, which we've all heard about in the news re regarding the broader economy for the past year. The movie industry is now catching up to that because it is 
has stifled productions. It's caused delays. And theater owners have seen this coming out for the past few months that the next two to three months, essentially until mid-October to November, will be pretty slow in terms of new releases. So what are the biggest ones, even if they're not huge? Like, what could I go see if I do want to go to the movies? (laughs) Well, right now, Jordan Peele's Nope is out. That's the summer movie, though. Bullet Train is out next weekend. Once we get into late August, September, it's a lot of there's a few re-releases. Avatar is being re-released as far as new movies go. Don't don't Worry Darling will be out in September. Uh, Bros, which is a comedy at the end of September. Lyle Lyle Crocodile, the family movie coming out in early October. Little movies. I, I hesitate to call them little movies, but you know, relative to what the blockbusters that theaters really look for that kind of cash for, these will be the movies that have to prop up the industry and have to appeal to casual audiences. I, I got to tell you, you know, uh, it was the last week I went to see Nope, uh, and the you know nowadays they show like a half hour, and I'm not kidding, of of coming attractions. So there must have been I don't know like 20 films that they were highlighting, <laughs> and I don't think there was a single one, Sean. That And I know everybody has different tastes, but really, I mean, one after the other, I thought, this is awful. You, you said nope. Yeah, so, yeah, I said yes. nope. Yeah, I was like, wow, these are terrible. I mean, are theater owners, are they really getting really scared? I don't think so. I think this is a lot different situation than they were in two years ago, because like I mentioned, they've, they've seen this coming. They've had time to prepare. This is not really an overnight surprise that there were going to be a lack of movies. The thing is, they just have to advertise what's coming out soon. To, to get people into the theaters over the next couple of months, they know that people will be back, be back in November for Black Panther and Avatar and Shazam in December and a few other movies coming out, some award season movies that will be out in theaters. It's just going to kind of be a two to three month grind that, uh, you know, I, even studios are, are going to have to kind of figure out what to do in this time because they're not going to be earning that box office revenue. So both they and exhibitors are in the same boat at the moment. Is Christmas still a big thing to, to release something around Christmas or is that the November movies? You just do it earlier now. Uh, absolutely both. Yeah, Black Black Panther will go in November and I anticipate that will will be one of the biggest movies of the year, potentially the biggest. Maybe the rival will be the Avatar sequel, and that will be right around Christmas. So those will be the two big we'll be talking about towards the end of the year. And what about sort of smaller, you know, what they used to call anyway, art house films that I usually refer to as good movies? What, <laughs> what about those? Yeah, those are slowly starting to come back. I think the industry has been really encouraged by how the film Everything Everywhere All at Once did uh, over these past few months months it's been a huge hit in theaters it's still in theaters it actually just added more locations again this weekend there aren't enough of those movies yet though and that's when the industry is at its healthiest when there is a variety of content it's not just blockbusters it's the prestige movies the art house movies those will start to slowly come back as we get towards award season in the late fall sean robbins chief analyst box office pro and coming up mega millions surges past one billion dollars we look into the best way to use your lottery winnings and trick-or-treating or might not be as fun for kids because there could be a shortage of certain types of candies. Right now, new and improved COVID vaccines could be out for September. New York Times says Pfizer and Moderna promising they can deliver retooled vaccines soon. The administration will then begin a new booster campaign. Dr. Julie Swan is with North Carolina State University, has worked with the CDC and the Red Cross in medication vaccination distribution efforts. Doctor, thanks for being here. So what do we know about these shots in terms of how they are um, positioning them? Is this to go after Omicron? Is it is it specifically this new BA5? Yes, that's right. This is a retooled vaccine based on the recent Omicron variants. But are we still fighting yesterday's war? Because by the time we get to September or October or further into the, the winter months, 
might there not be another variant that this vaccine, the new one, will still be behind? That is always true. So you are correct. Uh, I think that there is a hope that the, the whatever next variant arises, that this will give some protection against that when it well as well if it's an offshoot of Omicron. Does this also mean that eligibility for your fourth shot now will not be opened up until this new one arrives? Because that was a discussion. And then we get into the whole area of, you know, do people even want to take so many back to back? Because now you're on to your fourth or maybe even your fifth dose. Well, you know, I, I think that I'd like to take whatever's going to take um, to get keep me out of the hospital. Uh, and certainly we know that getting vaccinated and getting boosted when recommended can help do that. They have approved uh, the current boosters. Um, the most recent one was for people age 50 and older. They did not add another booster for those below 50. I think that they are going to wait on that. But I do encourage people to stay up to date. And the current boosters are being given four months after the previous shot. Yeah, I was going to get to that question about what is the appropriate timing? Because if you do it in too short an interval, you may not get, you know, all the bang for the buck that you want, right? Like, for example, I had my booster in, uh, when did I have it? April, beginning of April. So September, October, do I wait? What do I do? I'm just laughing because you looked at me like I have it written down. No, because we talk about everything. You, yes, you, it's you, true. Yes, you know. When yeah, I and I got my third. Yeah. What now seems like a long time ago. Yeah. So. You see, doctor, that's what we talk about. Here. I know. All the time is like, I know. When did you get vaccinated? When did you get vaccinated? But what is Absolutely. the appropriate time? Yeah. So whatever the current recommendation is, you know, previously there was a a time period of about six months. It has decreased as we know more about how long immunity lasts and as we have more and more data. So it does say four months now. And there's a website at the CDC where you can check your eligibility if you're not sure. Uh, And I just told my spouse that they need a a booster. So they're going to get one next week. Do you worry, though, about uptake generally because even the third shots and especially the fourth uh not where people in public health would want those to be in terms of uh, how many arms they've gone into so now we're on to this next round or do you think it's different if they can sell it the right way and we'll put sell in quotes um hey it's the fall we're inside we're gonna see a surge go and get this vaccine Well, certainly we continue to not have uptake uh, at the levels that it should be across various age groups and and geographies. It's lower than it should be among children. I'm particularly worried as schools start up. So I do encourage children and youth to get vaccinated. I think that over time, people are getting more and more used to the vaccine. And we have seen in previous decades when new vaccines rolled out that sometimes it does take some time. Uh, So I am hoping that the uptake will continue to increase, but it does depend on a lot of effort, a lot of education uh, and, and resources. Dr. Julie Swan, North Carolina State University. This is KNX In-Depth. He's Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. We have a fever. It's lottery fever. Mega Millions is now up to at least $1.28 billion, third largest Mega Millions jackpot in U.S. history. If you bought a ticket, you'd probably imagine what you would do with all that money if you won. But you got to be careful because a lot of past lottery winners, <laughs> they're now broke. So what would you do if you do win? Caleb uh, Silvers, editor-in-chief of Investopedia.com. Caleb, thanks for being 
with us. So uh, we've already discussed amongst ourselves here. Uh, I know Mike Simpson here, if he won a, mil- a billion dollars, he would just like disappear. Vanish, disappear. Uh, our Karen Adams was going to uh, help people, but then very quickly buy a yacht. And I decided I would buy France. Uh, <laughs> are these recipes for disaster and what some people who win huge sums of money start doing, which is spend it on foolish things too quickly? Yeah, people end up spending too much money too quickly, loaning it out to relatives, friends, and families. All of a sudden, you got cousins you've never heard of who would really like to speak with you and have a great <laughs> idea for how to use that money. Uh, but a lot of people go through this money very quickly, and a lot of people end up in bankruptcy or deep in debt even after they've won enormous sums of money because it's a lot of money to take in all at once, and there's a lot of considerations. As for me, I'd build a big fence and get some dogs and then figure it out because <laughs> yes. a moat with is a, crocodiles. This is more it. money yeah. than most of us have ever even dreamed of. So let's say let's say we do win, one of us or multiple, because you know they usually split this among a few people because so many of us buy tickets. Um, who should your first call be to? Yeah, probably a lawyer or your financial advisor if you have one uh, after you've already called your friends and, and, and bragged about it. But you really got to be very uh, thoughtful about what you're going to do with that money. And I don't really care if it's 100000 $10 million. Of course, we're talking about over a billion dollars right now. And you have a one in, 300 chance, one in 300 million chance of winning, by the way. So it's probably not going to happen to any of us, but I hope it does. Uh, that said, you're going to have to make that call to a financial advisor or a planner because you have to make the decision, am I taking the lump sum or am I taking taking this in installments. And both of them have serious tax implications, but both of them also have very serious long-term implications for how you're going to manage your money and live in that wealth going forward. Have you ever come across somebody who has won a huge amount from one of these lotteries and actually did some really cool things and, and smart things with their money? Or do most people just kind of, you know, they blow it? Well, a lot of people remain anonymous, and there are some states where you can remain anonymous, but you've you've read and probably seen many anecdotal stories about folks who have either won it multiple times and just keep winning it. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard of a gentleman who's won it over seven times, uh, but I've also heard of people who won it, spent it all right away, bought a couple of Bengal tigers and some crocodiles and some pythons <laughs> and, and 10 Rolls Royces, and then it's all gone, and they're back where they started or even worse. So the stories are all over the place, but it's a very good opportunity if you do come into some winnings. Again, Depends on the scale to put money to work, believe it or not. Yeah, you want to spend and you want to splurge a little bit. But think about what would happen if you invested some of that money or put it somewhere where you could grow it in the long term, whether that's in real estate, the stock market, in some smart business ideas. There are ways to actually multiply the winnings if you do it carefully. You just have to be thoughtful about it. And you do have to consider these tax implications because if you take all that money at once, you're going to lose over half of it to taxes. Yeah. Do most people take it at once, though, because they just can't resist the big number and they think the other the other way is kind of boring? Yeah, and most people do take it all at once because they want that big number. They want that check in the bank. They want that money in their pocket, so to speak. And then also depends on how old you are. Somebody maybe 50 or older like me maybe doesn't want to wait around for 30 years to get installment payments. Maybe they want that money now and they want to be able to, to make decisions about how to live the rest of their life in that wealth. So most people do go for the lump sum and it's super tempting and I totally understand it. But depending on where you live, um, you're going to pay a lot of taxes. You're going to go automatically into the highest tax bracket. And in some states, uh, especially in New York, taxes, state income taxes are over 10% for, for lottery winnings. In the state of Louisiana, I believe it's up to 4%. So you have to consider all of that. How does somebody who wins these large amounts go about even finding a, a really good lawyer or financial advisor that they can trust? Since most lawyers, I, I, I suspect, 
don't deal with this sort of thing either. Most lawyers don't have clients who have won a you know a billion dollars. Yeah, well, believe believe me, you're going to find many lawyers and financial advisors who are going to want to work with you. Oh yeah, uh, to help you sort this out. So, but there are people that do specialize in inherited wealth or or one wealth that people will win either through gambling or other ways. Uh, lottery is a form of gambling, so there are lawyers and financial planning firms that do specialize in that instant wealth syndrome, and it is a syndrome. I know everybody thinks it's going to change their life and make them happier, but the uh, the saying "more money, more problems" uh, that really uh-huh. does play into anyone who wins the lottery and believe me i think there are many happy people that have won but it is all of a sudden being uh you know having all this wealth and not knowing what to do because maybe you really didn't know what to do with the money you made to begin with and all of a sudden your wealth has multiplied extensively caleb silver editor-in-chief investopedia.com that's why i'm saying disappear yeah you know can't catch me and listening to him i'm thinking maybe maybe if i won maybe buying france is 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 too ambitious maybe maybe like rhode island walking around like a old painting with a cape and the crown on it i've bought france Uh, okay just get a nice big house somewhere if i buy france you can visit though okay thank you (laughs) amazon employees across the country have been working to form unions well, the company has been working diligently to stop them. If you want to know how serious Amazon is at stopping organized labor, there's this internal memo that was leaked to a reporter from Recode and Vox. Uh, details how the company used this area, Southern California, as kind of a testing ground. The idea, if what they did worked here, it might work elsewhere. Lance Compass, senior lecturer emeritus at Cornell University's School of Industrial and Labor Relations and author of a recent report on Amazon's international labor violations published by the UC Berkeley Labor Center. Lance, thanks for being with us. So uh, what do you see in here as surprising or not surprising? Because you kind of read the temperature of people who are commenting on this today and they go, oh, well, of course Amazon was going to be doing something like this. Yeah, yeah, it it really more confirms uh, what everybody knew. Um, But it's pretty clear that it's a, uh, you know, the Amazon memo describes what's really a a lipstick on a pig operation, you know. Um, it's all about the public relations spin. Um, but Amazon has a problem with the facts um, in, in terms of the uh, the health and safety uh, abuses and hazards that go on in the, uh, especially in the warehouses, but also in other Amazon operations. Um, they're under investigation by the Justice Department for fraudulent underreporting of uh, injuries and illnesses. So, so even even the terrible record that's uh, that, that's public um, hides, you know, an even deeper problem with health and safety. Um, and and you know, they uh, I know they talk about in in the memo too. They talk about well, let's let's brag about our eighteen dollars an hour starting wage. Um, I mean, that might have been a good starting wage two or three years ago, but it's not much of a starting wage today. And with a one hundred percent turnover among employees. It means that, you know, the vast majority of Amazon workers are at the low wage of the uh, of the scale. So so it's no wonder that uh, workers are trying to organize um, around the country. And how does a company like Amazon try to thwart that? Well, um, they they have uh, first of all, they have lots of resources. So they they spend tens of millions of dollars uh, each year paying anti-union consultants, um, union busters, as they're often called, who, who specialize in developing um, anti-union campaigns, really harsh, aggressive anti-union campaigns in any location where there's even a hint of worker organizing. Um, and what this often involves is um, setting up an anti-union website that has all sorts of 
uh, information about uh, um, you know what bad things can happen if workers form a union. Um, they, they they also set up a program of what are called captive audience meetings. These are mandatory meetings that workers are required to attend. Um, and and there's a really uh, a big large record, you know, a transcript record of these meetings in connection with the unfair labor practice cases that arose in organizing campaigns in uh, New York and in Alabama. Um, but they they haul workers into these meetings and um, just scare the bejesus out of them. You know, they, 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 they're always careful. They start off saying, of course, we respect your right to form a union. Um, but if you do, um, you could lose everything you have. They, they, they perfected the art of, of the, the implicit and sometimes explicit threat. Explicit threats are unlawful, but, but um, uh, Amazon has actually crossed the line. There are lots of unfair labor practice uh, cases around the country involved. Um, but but it's, this, um, it's this kind of um, insidious – well, the insidious part is really the, the, the last thing that the consultants do is they, they train supervisors – to meet individually with workers, one-on-one, where there are no witnesses. And this is where they can really go to town and tell people, if the union gets in, we're going to shut this place down, and if the union gets in, you're going to lose everything you have, and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, unfortunately, that's the kind of uh, uh, conduct that Amazon engages in to, uh, to resist union organizing around the country. Are, are areas and areas like this one even more crucial for them, just given the population, given the logistics, and, and then when you talk about you know fighting it out one way or another, you've got the ports, you've got uh, plenty of unions here, and everybody is trying to stake their claim. Um, yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And uh, if I can just add, you know, I retired from Cornell a couple of years ago, and, and I live in San Diego now. Um, so I have something of a stake and an interest in developments in Southern California. Uh, but there's no question that Southern California is the epicenter of uh, of Amazon's operations. You know what what happens here is gonna is gonna spread around. So it's it's really critical. Um, you know, a lot of the memo addresses uh, uh, plans that have been publicly announced by the Teamsters Union to to uh, try to organize Amazon. Um, and the Teamsters in Southern California have a good reputation. Uh, they have a good brand of their own, if I can put it that way. Uh, very effective at the bargaining table. Um, and uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, Amazon sees the, the, the risk here, um, and uh, this is why they're you know, making these kinds of plans. Uh, you know, what this, this internal memo talks about um, going to community organizations and, and hiring um, people coming out of prison and, you know, looking, looking, trying to look uh, progressive and uh, looking like a good employer. But, uh, but again, you know, it's a lipstick on a pig operation because um, the reality of what goes on in Amazon warehouses and other Amazon workplaces is that um, workers are under pressure and they're responding the way workers have historically have done. uh, And that's to try to form a union and bargain collectively. Lance Kampa, Senior Lecturer Emeritus at uh, Cornell. So a uh, Amazon spokesperson says the company is constantly exploring ways that can improve for its employees, customers, and community partners. And he also says Amazon is working hard to strengthen our connections in the communities that we serve. This is KNX In-Depth, Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. So the other day we were talking about Knott's Berry Farm and the new rules because uh, the teens were fighting at the park, so everybody under 18 now needs an adult to chaperone with them for the weekends. 
uh, because they had to cut, they had to shut down a couple of nights um, because mm-hmm. of those fights. Well, the fighting, it's just not limited to knots or, for that matter, to teens. Adults are getting into more fights at theme parks all across the country. What's going on at places that are supposed to be fun and an escape from reality? Dennis Spiegel is a theme park industry expert and founder and CEO of International Theme Park Services. Dennis, thanks for being with us. So what is going on? Uh, I mean, why all these fights? Well, well, it's a disappointing trend that we really have seen develop in the last two years. Prior to that, uh, theme parks never had any types of altercations of this nature. And <clears throat> it's a it's a composite of of pinup COVID. It's people uh, disappointed because they have to wait a little longer because of the shortage of help that uh, theme parks have experienced. And uh, everybody's just a little more short-tempered today in 2022 than they have been prior to this. And uh, fuses are short. And we have been seeing this happen, not only at the large parks, but at the small mom and pop parks from East Coast to West Coast. Do you think we also notice it more because as soon as someone in front of me starts fighting, I'm going to take out my phone and make a video of it, and then I'm going to put it on social media? Well, everybody's become a newsman, that's for sure, uh, everywhere they go. And uh, it certainly doesn't help a situation. And sometimes it exacerbates an incident. Uh, We've seen that where people ag other people on. So uh, it's really something we're concerned about. And we're addressing, as you mentioned at Knott's Berry Farm, they introduced the chaperone policy, and it was the right thing to do. And to this point, it seems to be working very well for them. And frankly, some other parks over on the East Coast have done the same thing. And are others doing more? I mean, what else can you do? I guess you can have things like, I don't know, metal detectors and stuff like that. But what else can you do? Well, it's uh, I was telling uh, news the other day that there are four or five things that can be done. First of all, uh, at the arrival to the guest with signage and uh, display of security at the front gate, that sends a message. You tell them right away with the signage that if you create a problem, an altercation, you're going to be removed. You're not going to get a refund, and you're not going to be welcome back. Uh, the presence of, of uniform security uh, is certainly helps us. They let uh, that lets the guests know uh, there are, is security both inside and outside the park. Number two, uh, the in the queue lines, <clears throat> move the security to the heavier teen-oriented areas and the crowded areas where. Uh, they can they can be seen, and uh, if somebody has a problem, it can be stopped right away. And also, continuation of if there is a problem, take care of that altercation immediately as a security force, and either eject or arrest, but remove them from the park, and don't allow them back in, even if they happen to be a season pass holder. You know, I was thinking about this earlier, and, and this probably happens, you know, late afternoon or evening a lot of times, because you get there in the morning, maybe, and you're having a great time, and the lines are short, and you're getting on all the rides. But then when you've been waiting like 45 minutes, and it's 100 degrees, and the line's not moving, like, people are going to snap sometimes. Well, they do. And one of the cases, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, was just happened in, in a park over here on the East Coast is a lady was in the queue line with her family. 
she left to get her cell phone, which she had uh, uh, left in a restaurant somewhere in the park. When she came back, she came back into the line. The people didn't understand what she was doing. They started pushing her, and it resulted in fisticuffs. And the both families uh, got into a, a major chaotic fight. But it must be a very fine line that amusement parks have to walk on this, right? Because you don't want to be so oppressive. I mean, you want to, on the one hand, as you pointed out earlier, you want to kind of have a show of, for lack of a better word, force, so that it deters people who might be up to no good. But on the other hand, you don't want to make it look like you're you're going into a prison camp. It ruins the magic. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that's true. And quite frankly, we introduced metal detectors into the parks 15, 20 years ago. Uh, just like airports have done and other secured uh, places, banks, et cetera. And you know what? 99.9% uh, .9 of the people who walk through those metal, they don't care because they're there to have a good time. Frankly, they feel safe by having that those in place. But you do have the people who are going to come that have ulterior motives and their fuse is short. Uh, and uh, it does create these problems. Keep in mind that theme parks are probably the most wholesome form of family entertainment that's left in America and really around the world. And it's been that way since 1955 when Disney opened 67 years plus ago. And uh, it's up to us to maintain that image and responsibility to the parks, the employees, and the guests. And uh, the parks are are stepping up. They're all of the parks. Uh, our International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions is certainly supporting this. So we're going to uh, put this fire out. And the only way to do it is show the people who are problematic that uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a, a, an approach that uh, is stronger than we ever have in the past. Dennis Spiegel, theme park industry experts, uh, founder International Theme Park Services. Halloween still a few months out, which gives parents time to break the news to their kids that they might not be getting some of their favorite candies in their trick-or-treat bags. Hershey says it is not going to be able to meet demand for Halloween candy this year. Just going to have to race the other kids out there as fast as you can yeah. to get the limited candy that's <laughs> at the houses. Um, what is Halloween without the mini stuff? The Kit Kats, the Reese's, uh, Phil Lempert's retail analyst, supermarket guru. He has supermarketguru.com. Phil, thanks for being here. So how bad are they saying this is going to be? Well, they're saying it's going to be really bad. However, there's a lot more to this story than just the PR stuff. You know, so Hershey's is coming out now, getting everybody excited that they're not going to have Halloween candy. So what they're going to do is they're going to drive sales earlier than normal. Um, Hershey's does have a plant facility problem where, you know, the same Halloween candy is made on the general equipment that we want for every day. Since the pandemic, bottom line is we've been consuming more chocolate, but there's more things going on. First of all, climate change. It's really affected the cacao or cocoa crops. There's a fungal disease going on. There's been dry weather. Um, so there's less cacao out there. What we also find is a lot of these farmers who grew that crop, they're finding that it's too difficult because of the fungal disease, because of climate change. So they're switching their land to other things. And the other thing that people don't remember 
is, you know, back in the 60s, a lot of the chocolate that was made in California um, and also in other parts of the country for Hershey's was moved to Mexico. So we've got that whole supply chain issue of how do we get the chocolate that's made in their Monterey, Mexico facility to the U.S. So lots of stuff going on. It means less chocolate for us for Halloween. So maybe it's time for us to, you know, have something else. So this really is a bigger thing then, right, than than just not having enough chocolate for Halloween. I mean, we're talking about, like, it sounds like the end of chocolate as we know it. <laughs> well, yes, um, they've been talking about for probably the past 10 years uh, that there has been a chocolate shortage. In the U.S., we consume about 20% of all chocolate globally. In Europe, they consume about 50%. So, you know, for the rest of the world, that's only 30% of the chocolate. So we do have a chocolate shortage going on. And also, if we look at the raw material price of cacao, um, in February, it took another 8% increase. Uh, now it's over double digits. So chocolate is getting more expensive. Um, so one of the things that we've really got to look at, and we've seen it over over the past few years, is a lot of plant-based products. You know, anything to do with an animal, whether it's meat or dairy, certainly milk that goes into chocolate, those have gone up considerably. Um, Again, climate change being one of the major culprits um, of that. So, yeah, we're going to see less chocolate out there and it's going to be more expensive. Are they going to start, you think, having to make some decisions like, okay, the mini Hershey bars, like those stay. Everyone likes Reese's and Kit Kats, so those stay. But like... I'm on the website to figure out what else they have. And like Fifth <laughs> Avenue, like I haven't had a Fifth Avenue in forever. Or like a Heath bar. Are they saying like, sorry, guys, those are gone. Yeah. So, yes, I think that what we're going to see is consumer behavior shift a little bit. We're also going to see a lot of those chocolate covered everythings uh, that we've seen over the past couple of years. Uh, chocolate covered potato chips, chocolate covered uh, pickles and things pretzels. like that. I like the chocolate covered pretzels. pretzels. Yeah, they're going to disappear so that we can have more chocolate as a real candy. But also, I think we're going to see, you know, consumer behavior shift away from a lot of that. Look at the scandal that's going on now about Skittles, um, you know, being toxic. Um, So I think that a lot of parents are really thinking when it comes to Halloween this year, what can we give our kids and our neighbor's kids that are not sugar based um, and hopefully move them away from that kind of, you know, Halloween treat to something a little healthier and a little bit more available and a little bit more but, affordable. But what what sort of world are we in where we're not going to have chocolate covered pickles? I mean, what what are, what are we talking about here? This is promises this is, were made. This is crazy. They need to be yeah. Right. yeah. Well, I I happen to love dark chocolate. You know, I I am a fan of dark chocolate. They can never take that away from me. But some of these other chocolate covered everythings, um, you know, we just don't really, in my opinion, need that much. Um, Because certainly from a health standpoint, from an indulgent standpoint, from a, you know, dentist standpoint, um, we need to be consuming less sugar. You know what I like? I like chocolate covered chocolate. Chocolate-covered chocolate. You know, I don't – interesting. I don't think I've ever had chocolate-covered chocolate, but I'm going to try that. This is the guy also with his lottery winnings who wants to buy France. Yes, if if I win a billion, I'm going to buy France. That's where I'm – 
I'm, I'm on record. Don't forget, <laughs> don't forget tonight when you win that one point yeah. one billion or whatever it's at. Yeah. You know, we get it. We get a share of that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just by being friends. You yeah. Know? It's okay. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, buy us. You know, you can have France with buy us like <laughs> Portugal or something. Plenty you know? <laughs> to go around. <laughs> I like the Mr. Good bar. That's the one I like. That comes in a variety the, pack. Yeah, but I haven't had that in It's years. one of their old-fashioned ones. I looked yeah. it up here. They 1925. Is when they when they That was the Mr. Good it? bar. And the chemist who made it, uh, Mr. Hershey, uh, took a bite and he said, that's a good bar. Uh, um, but then someone was hard of hearing and then they just named it Mr. Good bar. <laughs> like, that's the story. <laughs> that is a weird story. <laughs> really? Okay. Learn something every day on this show. Yes, whether you want to or not. That's right. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll be back on uh, Monday.